Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today, I have a very special podcast. I'm speaking with the co-founders of Harper Wild. That's right, two guests. Jenna and Jane are awesome founders. How they came together at Wharton to change the bra business just ahead. Do you want to increase your chance of landing a job by over 12 times? Then check out Wall Street Oasis's mentor service and get advice from over 200 mentors that work across many of the top firms. They'll work with you to get you ready for that next big interview. We had some interesting meetings for Pay Club this week. We had four pitches to investors and a call yesterday with one of the founding team members of a company called Tilt. They were in the group payment space, and besides Venmo, they are the company that is brought up most often in our meetings with investors. Tilt raised $60 million bucks. They had great success in spreading across college campuses, but they never found out a way to monetize. It's reassuring to speak with these past founders and hear about their mistakes and their advice for us and then get their buy-in for our approach. You know, my team is so focused on our objective. We have blinders on to not let anything stop us from achieving our goal, and we're going to be successful. But when you get approval from someone like this Tilt guy, it just it feels great. That call we had also shows how cool the startup world is. Founders are happy to jump on a call with us and walk through our plan for 40 minutes giving us their thoughts and advice. What other industry would that happen in? Definitely not entertainment where I used to work. Everyone was so guarded and out for themselves. Uh, The other call that I'm thinking about this morning was with an angel investor who's written a couple of checks to fintech companies recently. Uh, Now that Pay Club has had a number of transactions and um, we got to the point where we have some numbers, the conversations are, are taking a different path. People are starting not just to see our vision, but they're starting to buy into it. That's what starting a business is. We're some crazy idealistic founders that have a different view of the world. Everyone doubts us. They doubt you forever until you prove them wrong. We haven't proved them wrong yet, but we're starting to fuck with their minds. We're close. Pay Club isn't a social platform. It's not like Instagram or Snapchat that can just go viral right away. We're a utility app. You have to have a need to collect money. 
But once we get these users signed up because their fraternity says they have to, lots and lots of people on campuses will start to have pay club. And then the tilt will happen when they start to use the app outside of the fraternity for other stuff in their life. That's when we'll blow investors' minds. Okay, Jenna, Jane, as I just said, this is my first podcast with three people, two guests, and you're both powerful females. Like, we're in your cool office in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks Thanks for for having having us. us. Together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the company's Harper Wild. It's like a direct-to-consumer bras for women. I just made a joke that maybe men are in the future. Bros, like the Seinfeld. Brazier. Brosier. Manzier. Manzier. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, You guys got my bra humor. (laughs) There's a lot of bra humor here. I love it. Um, On the website, there was, you called it raw hopping. Mm -hmm. Bra shopping without the BS. I, yep. thought, I laughed at that. I told my wife about that this, this morning. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of absurdity in the, the bra industry. And um, one of the ways that we try to uh, take that head on is through humor and, and making it a lot more relatable. Um, something that women have to deal with every day. So we might as well make it fun uh, and interesting. I love it. So you guys met in business school or just before business school. How how'd you guys meet? What's the story with, with that? Yeah, we met out in San Francisco. Um, I was working at a management consulting firm. Um, Jenna had left her management consulting firm and was at a wearable tech company in the Bay Area. And we had both gotten into Wharton and we had just like a meetup in San Francisco. And then the idea really came about once we were at school together, we were in the same class, had nothing to do with bras. It was not bras 101. We took that later. (laughs) (laughs) It was a different class related to innovation, but we knew we worked really well together as a team. Um, And at the same time, we were learning about a lot of other direct-to-consumer businesses that were changing the way that consumers shopped for not traditionally fun products like razor blades and mattresses. And what we realized was bra shopping was still horrible, and women hated it so much so that we were two women who had nice jeans and nice shoes and nice clothes, but underneath it all was this five-year-old bra that was torn and ripped and Jenna had an underwire poking her in the side. <laughs> True <and> we, story. <laughs> we just thought, why Why is that still the case? Why is it cool and fun and awesome to shop for every other commodity except for bras? And can we change that? I love it. I tried to b- buy a bra for my wife one time. <laughs> <laughs> Never again? It, it did not. I, I left with nothing. <laughs> it's uh, a little intimidating. So... I want to get into, so you guys went to business school. You both were consultants. You're like, I don't want to be a consultant anymore. What was the idea for both of you to go to, to business school? Do you think I want to go to business school to become an entrepreneur? Because like, you don't really have to do that. But or were you thinking I want to go back to consulting? What was what do you guys think? Yeah, I think interestingly, one of the only things that I knew going into business school is that I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Same. Um, <laughs> I was I was pretty clear on that. I did want to work at startups. I had spent some time at um, a couple early stage companies. I loved it. I loved the energy. Um, but what I was really passionate about, my background was in um, neurobiology in undergrad. Um, then I had spent some time um, doing some innovation consulting and working through solution design and consumer behavior and need finding. And I fell in love with that. And the intention was to go to Wharton um, and do integrated product design as well and um, do product management 
um, at a startup after. So um, really love just like understanding how to build technology and experiences to um, make better, you know, uh, experiences for consumers and to change consumer behavior. So as we started talking about this, um, one of the most interesting things is there's a really strange behavior that women like Jane and I would, you know, enjoyed shopping for other things and were willing to spend on themselves for these, you know, for jeans and shirts and things that they otherwise use every day. And yet we're not willing to spend on this other most basic commodity. And that's really one of the things that we dove into is, you know, why is bra shopping so awful and what is it that's, you know, keeping women from buying this product that, you know, they otherwise wear every day. Cool. So where was it in the two years of business school that like you guys linked up, we found this problem, let's go attack this? It was in our first quarter that we had the idea, but I similarly was um, anti-entrepreneurship. I was interested in behavioral economics and public policy, um, which actually has no tie to bras. So it was a bit of a leap. And I think because this entrepreneurship journey was such a leap for the two of us from our intended paths coming into Wharton. Um, we took more of an approach of disproving the business model more so than I think what is more traditional with entrepreneurs, which is I have this idea, I got to prove it, I got to prove why it's worth pursuing. Um, and so we had the idea our first quarter, we took it through a few classes, some accelerators at Penn. And what we found was everything that we kept surfacing about the industry, about the product, about demand from customers was that there was an enormous opportunity that ultimately we couldn't turn down we just really had to pursue so yeah it was first quarter and then we developed it through for the next like year and a half or so cool so business school was sounds like it was helpful for you guys I went to business school I did like you know startup experiments and the professors are like pounding the table primary research and secondary research and like it was super academic for me I'm like I just want to go like fire like fire fire aim versus business school they're like no you need to aim 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 then fire was it was it helpful for you guys being in school having this like community to to start this yeah i think one of the biggest things i mean definitely hear you on the um you know planning planning things out versus just doing and i think that was a balance we really had to strike um but i think there was a lot that in terms of the um community there that really helped us start the business um so we had you know a lot of classmates helping us um for anything that we weren't familiar with um we were able to tap someone in the network to say hey can you can we grab 30 to 60 minutes and and chat through you know um product development or pr or um growth marketing and so things that you know we might not have had experience in there was always someone who was an expert and had spent you know between four and six years pre-business school that we could really pick their brains um that and the professors as well were really helpful i think the the course curricula it was it was tough to tailor that you know to starting a business and so many people in business school aren't necessarily doing that but we took a lot of time to get to know professors and spend time with them outside of class and really you know, talk to them about the work that they're doing and other startups they've seen come through the program and see if there's anything that we could apply to what we were building. Yeah, like we had a trial event where we mocked out Home Try-On, which is ultimately a core part of our business model. And so we wanted to exactly how you said, just like get out there and start seeing what would work or not. And so it was a pretty huge endeavor because we, we had no money at that point. So we wanted to run an event that would mock out Home Try-On without spending any money. And so we bought 400 bras of existing brands, um, put it on a credit card, and then had women come over to my house um, in Philly and 
I'll spare a lot of the details, but see all these bras that we had bought, be able to take home a few, try them on, and anything they kept, we would Venmo charge them. We took their cell phone number just like you'd take a credit card, and anything they didn't keep, we'd return to the stores and just get some bad looks from a Victoria's Secret sales associate, but otherwise get all our money back. And we used the professors a lot. Um, we worked with them to understand, you know, it was a huge endeavor. Uh, we floated a lot of money for a period of time. It was one of the last huge tests that we were going to do before we pulled the trigger and really went with this and raised money. So we wanted to make sure we were testing in all the right ways. So we worked with a few professors from the marketing department to really make sure that we were testing the variables we should be in the right ways, and it was really helpful. Yeah, that just sounds like an extreme amount of value add that professors and you have a .edu email address and you can just email yeah. people. I mean, do you email the Warby Parker guys? Yeah, we've we've chatted with them um, a couple times. Just again, yeah. similar alma mater. Um, so they've been really helpful in just kind of chatting through their experience and um, are in a slightly different place than we are now. But um, really awesome to see kind of the the path that they've laid and um, thinking about how to grow our business successfully as well. So cool. So did you forego summer internships? Uh, so we recruited, you have to recruit very early on, uh, like October or so, um, for the summer, which is kind of crazy. So we hadn't been planning to do this full time. Um, so we both had internships, although I ended up choosing one strategically to be able to work on this. So I chose one at a private equity fund in New York that started when I was still in school, but ended in the beginning of July. So I could spend the second half of the summer out in LA here working on our bras designing our bras and even like on my lunch breaks at the internship I'd go to a designer in New York and like work on some of the sketches for the patterns that we ultimately created yeah and I think as Jane mentioned before we are constantly trying to disprove you know we weren't all in on entrepreneurship just looking for an idea and then going to run with it it was more like is there really something here and so we both had had these internships and really spent that summer um I had a uh date internship um you know but then nights and weekends uh we had like two calls a week where we would chat through everything and um you know talk through what we were each trying to push forward uh, and it was really after that summer um after making a ton of progress on both our launch video as well as our products that we really decided that we were going to pursue this full-time after school that's that's great and it's the, the the same launch video that i watched on your website that's the one. Uh, what if men had to shop for boxers yeah. the way women shop for bras? <laughs> that was that was funny. It's kind of like the Dollar Shave Club kind of kind of humor. It's great. Um, okay, so let's get into what the business is. Like we've talked about how you guys came together and how business school was helpful in doing it. So what is it? So our vision is to take the BS out of bra shopping. Um, we provide fairly priced everyday bras without the hassle. So one of the biggest takeaways that we had from the research we did to understand what's the solution we have to provide is that women hate bra shopping and there isn't necessarily a problem with the bras itself. There are thousands of bras out there. It's not that there isn't one that's that works it's that finding it is so hard and it's so expensive and so we really distilled down the problem to those things the price being so high um, so many options to sort through number two and number three was um, the try-on experience going in store getting fitted only having one shirt that you happen to wear that day and not being able to try it on um, and the online experience was you had to put down a ton of money to bring some home and try it on and so that's why our value proposition became threefold 
fair prices of $35, which is half our competition. And a lot of people like our bras even better than them. Um, the second is simple options. So there's this uh, theory of the paradox of choice that when you're inundated with options, um, it's actually a horrible situation where you don't choose something because you're so overwhelmed or you choose something and you're upset because you know all the ones you missed out on. Um, so fair prices, simple options. And the third was free home try-ons so that we could de-risk the idea of taking it home and trying it on with your whole wardrobe in a more comfortable situation. Um, so the, that's the three-part value proposition. From a brand perspective, we really understood that this was the time and place to build a brand around female empowerment. And that didn't mean red, lacy, bows, uh, fringe like embellishments it really meant um, a strong confident um, funny for us it meant really like taking a funny approach to the brand um, and that seems to be resonating quite well with women um, it turns out that they're funny too and there wasn't a female uh, brand out there that was really speaking to their sense of humor um, so that's the brand piece and then the final bit is the social mission so for us this was always about much more than just selling a ton of bras, it was about empowering women. And how we build the next generation of women, of leading women, really came back to having a solid foundation. And for us, that was an education. And so we work with Glamour Magazine's The Girl Project to donate back to girls' education. And our tagline is, therefore, lift up the ladies, because we're lifting up not your ladies, but other people's ladies, and <laughs> as, as well as the next generation of leading ladies. I love it. So... You guys have Deloitte, McKinsey. You're working in private equity internships over the summer. So you have like a good background, but you are first-time entrepreneurs, and it's difficult to raise money when you're a first-time entrepreneur. How'd you guys do that? Yeah, um, not only as a first-time entrepreneur, but also um, pitching bras to um, 40 to 50-year-old men right. uh, <laughs> can be somewhat challenging. I don't think they fully uh, comprehended the, uh, the experience that we were dealing with, but um, we, in the beginning, it was really tough. Like we, you know, we would walk in and start talking about bras and, you know, we just saw their eyes glaze over immediately. Like it just, it's not something that they've ever faced. It's not something they're going to face. Um, and a lot of men just thought, you know, this is just like similar to boxers. Like I, I'm not, I don't really get it. And so we, you know, in the beginning we had a really tough time and then we sat back and said, okay, what's going on? Like, where are we losing everyone? And we really took the time to say like, what, how can we make the people that, you know, we're pitching to really feel acutely the problem that we're actually trying to solve. And a lot of that came down to, you know, really putting men in a woman's shoes. Um, and that was actually the inspiration for the video that we launched, um, was we started turning our pitches around and saying, okay, let's say, you know, just to buy your everyday pair of boxers, you had to go in this store with pictures of like really large pictures of male models that look awesome on the walls. You're comparing yourself to them. And then a sales associate is, you know, uh, in the dressing room with you and, and they're measuring you and they're adjusting you, telling you you're too small or you need the volumizer version. Um, and then, you know, you have to sift through hundreds of options. And at the end of the day, it's 60, between 60 and $80 for one pair of boxers. And as we started to walk through that story, the, the conversation just changed. Like all of a sudden people were hooked and it was like, oh, like, holy crap, that would actually, that would suck. Like, yeah, that's, that's basically what it's like to buy a bra. And so, um, you know, as we told the story to men that really helped our fundraising, but we also saw that, that women, it like lit a spark for women as well. Like, holy, holy shit, like we shouldn't have to deal with this. Uh, and so that became the inspiration for the launch video of, you know, it resonates with um, both men and women and kind of sharing our story of why we're doing this. 
That's awesome. I that makes a lot of sense. I really, <laughs> I, really I mean, the video is great. So, um, okay. So we've got that raising money piece. How much did you guys raise? I bet like. Yeah, we've raised um, just over two million so far. That's that's awesome. And from yeah. what kind of investors are these? Um, so we have a mix. We we have like different angels from um, uh, strategic investors in PR to um, like a professor at Wharton, Adam Grant, to an NBA player, um, to early investors in other startups similar like Code Epoxy and Halo Top, um, and then we've got a few funds involved too. That's cool. Okay, so then there's there's one more com- complexity to this business is like actually getting these bras manufactured, right? Yep. <laughs> that does have to, have yes. to happen, yes. That does have to happen. We do have to have bras for our bra business. <laughs> not, not just videos and nice stories, right? Yeah, that would be nice, though. We could sell theoretical <laughs> bras. Um, yeah, so, and we break up our roles um, where I focus more on operations, supply chain, and making the bras. Um, and Jenna focuses on brand and marketing and website design, user experience. So from... The manufacturing side, we got really fortunate that Jenna had a connection to one of the largest lingerie manufacturers in the world. And not only are they fantastic to work with, but they're super aligned with our vision on female empowerment. So their workforce is made up by 75% women. And they worked with the UN to create an initiative called Women Go Beyond that helps bring those women different skill sets so that they're economically independent so um we were a little nervous because we had never manufactured anything and we had heard horror stories so the moment that we secured our partnership with them we flew overseas and visited them um and we're not only were our fears assuaged but we actually were so impressed with with the group and have loved working with them um so we manufacture there and then we import over to la where we do all of our fulfillment so there's a, there's a warehouse here too? Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. And it's all online right now. All the sales are online? Yep, that's right. We're all direct to consumer from our website. That's great. This seems like a great Shark Tank product. <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't, uh, haven't really considered that route um, up until now, but could be interesting to pursue. Well, three of the five sharks are like avid podcast this podcast listeners, so there you All go. All right. We'll, we'll talk. <laughs> Thanks hey, for the setup. Mark Cuban, this one's good. <laughs> awesome. Hi, Mark. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so where do you guys go from here? Do you want to be in stores? Is it always going to be online only? You want your own store? Yeah, it's a it's something we talk about often. I mean, right now the home try on program is is really resonating with consumers. Um, they love the ability to bring the dressing room into their home, and it confers a lot of advantages for us as well uh, as a business. But you know, we're looking at the experiential stores that a lot of direct consumers are uh, direct consumer businesses are starting to um, invest in to really you know grow the brand um, and give you know more people access to the brand. And so it's something that, um, you know, for now we're online, but it's something that we're open to in the future. Um, and we really want to build a relatable brand that, you know, people are excited to be a part of our wild women community, um, and, you know, physical locations or physical manifestations of that, um, maybe a really important part of our strategy moving forward. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that makes sense. Like it works, try it on. Like what about the economics of it? Like how does, is it really, 
do a lot of people return the bras? Is that expensive, like on the shipping and warehousing and figuring out what you have? Yeah, I mean, a big part of a lot of people, a lot of investors will say, well, anyone can do free home try-on. Like, why is that actually defensible? Um, and what you just hit on is at the heart of it. Logistically, it's incredibly complex. It's heavy in reverse logistics. So you really have to be able to nail that to uh, be able to offer a free home try-on. So two of the Two of the big logistical challenges that you have to solve for, not only solve for, but build a value proposition around are um, the amount of SKUs you carry. So again, like a three, one of the three parts of our value proposition is around simple options. Other competitors have actually built a value proposition at odds with that with half cup sizes and um, tons of different lacy styles and whatever it might be. But we said simple options is what women want and it's what we need logistically because you actually have to carry an inventory buffer to support home try-on. And the second is the resiliency of the product because we do have more returns with women trying it on. And so we have to make sure that we're able to cycle through those and allow allow for them to not be damaged out and so our bras have a really low damage rate because when we built them over 10 months we had real women try them and we ourselves acted as the worst consumers of all time and put them through crazy wash cycles and dryer cycles just to make sure they could actually withstand normal uh use and uh so they have a really low damage rate as well um but yeah it turns out it's not that expensive to make a bra so we are able to come in at such a low price point of 35 dollars um and still offer stuff like home try on um and still also become a, a a really large profitable business was there like a tipping point for the business when it was like I mean, obviously, all startups are very hard throughout their cycle, but where it seemed like, okay, we're testing, testing, and it's like, oh, now we got, like, a bunch of people buying this, or the website's up, or, I mean, like, was there a point you can look back on? Yeah, I mean, I think even even in the past couple of months, we've really seen things accelerate, which has um, been really awesome to see. I mean, we were doing a ton of testing when we first launched, um, and then started to really find things that scaled for us. Um, and have an awesome team here um, who's been able to really lean into that. And so, um, yeah, the past, this year has been, 2018 has been really great for us. Um, and we're excited to continue fueling that growth and uh, building the brand in a meaningful way. What about like a big surprise, like something you never saw coming or like mm. no one, we're buying, we're selling so many more or people are returning so many more. Or, I mean, are we raise money from an NBA player like yeah that was a surprise yeah we didn't see the tie with basketball (laughs) um I'm trying to think what's been a surprise I mean new moms that was a target market that I mean we're not moms so it wasn't super apparent to us when we built the business that that would be a group that would that would really benefit from this but now that we've heard from so many of them it makes so much sense why this is an appealing business and brand for them it's you know your body's changing shape you need a new size bra you don't have the time energy uh patience to go in store and try on many different sizes you also don't want to pay a lot especially for a product that might not fit you in a few months um and you know the fact that you've become a mom and you might be more socially conscious, uh, the social mission piece to helping uh, with girls' education, I think just really resonates with with those women. Yeah, I think just across the board, like seeing the 
reaction from customers has been really amazing. I mean, obviously that's something you hope for, um, but to see we have like a, a love channel internally on our Slack and people will post either customer tickets that come in or posts on Facebook uh, and just seeing people, you know, write in saying um, we got one this morning that was, you know, I'm, I have no problem. There's nothing I, you know, I don't need a response. I just want to let you know that I absolutely love what you're doing. I love your products. I've told all my friends and like, I think what you stand for is really important. Um, and that's, it's just really awesome to see people have the conviction to write in and say, you know, I love what you're doing and I'm, and I'm so glad you're here, um, which is uh, awesome for us. That is so cool. Okay. So last question, Jenna, Jane, either one can take it first. I'd love to hear both, but advice, like advice for founders, advice for people thinking like, should I go to business school and start a business? I'm working in consulting. I don't know what I want to do with my life. Something, something like that. I mean, one that we talk about is um, it comes, it kind of, it's kind of around resilience. Um, and I think like listening to your gut and it's more to the question of um, like, just like new entrepreneurs. I think like when you, when you share your business idea with people, which uh, we got the advice, like don't, don't hide it, share it. And um, that was from a professor. And I think we really strongly believe that like you shouldn't be as concerned about someone stealing your idea. You should be more concerned about getting the input from other people as you share it. But on the note of getting the input, you the more you share it, the more people try to pick it apart and tell you all the reasons why you can't do it. Um, and it's so easy to say why you're going to fail before you've started. And we heard from a lot of people along the way, um, you know, you, you can't do this. And it was really, really smart people who knew how hard it was to make a bra, for instance. And we knew nothing about making a bra. And so for someone really you know, experienced within manufacturing to say, this is a really, really hard garment to make. You guys are crazy for going into it. It was hard to, to not listen to them. But I think like, because probably, probably because we were so naive, that actually helped us a lot because we said, Hey, you know, they're selling them for crazy cheap at Costco. They've been made for years. This isn't a new technology. We'll find a way to produce bras. Um, and we did. And I think there's moments where you really have to listen to people, but a lot of times it's taking all the no you can't and really filtering them through some kind of questioning lens to really understand if if you should listen or what aspects of it you should listen to probably is more appropriate um and i think like pushing through the moments where you know different people have told us no have allowed us to question it and think about it but but pushing through is i think the key part and if you if you have a really strong idea you probably have to you know, change it, evolve it along the way as you hear advice, but not giving up, I think was, was a big piece of it. And having each other helped a lot. I love it. There's like, I mean, people, they, they are helpful. Like a lot of times this advice that you're getting, but also like people are haters and like, they like, Oh, I want to start my own business, but I haven't. And so I'm just going to shit all over yours. So <laughs> that's yes. a good one. Yeah, I think on my end, it would be like knowing knowing your values at the core, but then being open to um, open to new experiences beyond that. So I think for me, I my whole background was in healthcare um, and like deep in the sciences. And I thought that I would do something relating to healthcare. And when we started talking about this idea, it was really it was 
completely intriguing to me. Um, but at the surface, it felt like something that was such a departure from what I had known. Uh, and so my gut reaction was, you know, this is an amazing idea. Someone should pursue it, but like, I'm not the right person to do it. Um, and then when I really dug deep and thought about, okay, at, at the core, the reason I like healthcare is because it's helping people. Um, and if that's the, you know, the thing that I hold close is I want to help people can that be a part of this business that I think has so much potential and, and could be something amazing? And when, you know, Jane and I sat down and talked about it and found that that was something, you know, we, there was a commonality between us that we wanted to make this so much bigger than just bras and about helping women and then building the next generation of leading women. It really showed me that, you know, it wasn't just because there's something that I had done in my undergraduate studies and had, you know, pursued for a bit after that and into business school. Um, that didn't mean that, that was the only manifestation of something that was a core value to me. So I think just being open to, you know, you have to know who you are, but being open to how that can manifest uh, opens you up to new experiences. I love it. Jenna, Jane, both of those pieces of advice, hearing your story. This was a fun podcast. Thanks so <laughs> much for, uh, for having me from my office, which is one block away to your office. Yeah. Thanks for making the track. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed listening to this one. I certainly enjoyed making it. If you liked it, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends. Thank you. <laughs>